Consult Group, which has been launching brands into retail for over 30 years, has poured all of its expertise into the Retail Excellence Program so that yours can be next. This online learning program is an easy-to-follow course that helps you get into more retailers sooner. Sign up by going to www.retailexcellence.co. Once again, that's www.retailexcellence.co. We're kind of in the early stages, in my opinion, of what looks to be somewhat of a nuclear renaissance. And really the best way to play that is through the uranium mining stocks. That's prime, the primary way to play it anyways. There's a couple of other alternative ways, but for the most part, it's uh, mining stocks for the actual commodity for nuclear energy. On this episode of Early Bird, Justin Hume, founder of Uranium Insider. Justin joins the podcast today to talk about investing in uranium stocks in 2023, including an outlook of the current state of the sector, along with the advantages and disadvantages. If you're an investor looking to stay on top of the latest market trends, then you're listening to the right podcast. This is Early Bird, and I'm your host, Stephen Lerner. Before we get to today's discussion, let me tell you you can save time and beat the market through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter featuring commentary about the latest trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and equity crowdfunding. Early Bird is designed to help individual and non-professional investors stay on top of all the critical investing trends. The newsletter is 100% free and is sent to your email box each weekday morning. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, today's discussion. All right, Justin, welcome to the Early Bird Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Stephen? Doing wonderful. Thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about the uranium sector and different stocks that investors can take a look at. But before we do that, Justin... Um, what should the audience know about your background? How would you sort of describe your background in 30 seconds or less? I, I historically have been a retail investor. Uh, primarily was a trend-following uh, uh, trader prior to uh, honestly learning about this thesis for nuclear energy and uranium back in 2016. Uh, since then, it's been the bulk of my investing-related focus for the last five-plus years. Um, now I consider myself to be somewhat of a contrarian fundamental investor with 100% focus on this sector, which I think has some very exciting elements to it going forward. Oh, absolutely. And I can't wait to discuss that. You know, last year, Justin, the stock market did pretty pretty poorly. <laughs> 2022 was a bad year for most investors. Most equities uh, decreased. Um, how did the uranium sector do last year in 2022? Well, the uranium commodity itself did quite well. Um, the, the actual U-308, the mined uranium, was up about 13% on the year. And the rest of the nuclear fuel cycle, all of the other elements. Um, so for your listeners who aren't familiar, you know, a nuclear reactor doesn't just put mined uranium into the core of the reactor to create heat and boil water and the steam turns the turbine. There's a number of services throughout the nuclear fuel cycle that takes about 18 to 24 months from the mine to the actual fabricated fuel. And that's, uh, so you have a, an initial mild processing of the, of the ore, then you have um, conversion. You have to actually convert the uranium oxide into a gas. That's uh, uranium hexafluoride. Then it goes from the converted uranium 
into an enrichment facility where you have to enrich the fissile isotope up to a higher percentage, then it gets deconverted, then it gets fabricated into fuel. And this whole process takes, like I said, close to two years. And every single element of this fuel cycle has its own market, let's say, and its own pricing mechanisms. And all of the fuel cycle is in a very, very sharp uptrend. Oh, wow. And so uranium is really kind of the last shoe to drop for, for this type of demand that we've seen for the other elements of the fuel cycle. Even with that said, it had a strong year. The equities, however, did not have a great year. But when you put them into context with what happened last year across markets, especially when you consider just the absolute implosion of the tech sector and the cryptocurrencies, et cetera, and the you know forty plus trillion dollars of wealth that was wiped out last year, we did okay. So we had you know URNM, for example, which is a, the the largest pure play uranium mining uh, ETF was down, I believe, about uh, 10% on the year for last year. So it didn't do terribly in context, but definitely underperformed the commodity. And that's something that we feel is going to uh, revert to the mean this year. In fact, it's already kind of started that year to date so far. Oh, wow. So you seem pretty optimistic about what 2023 holds for the sector. Um, Justin, taking a look at the uranium sector, um, what should investors know about it? What, what are some reasons that investors may want to get involved in investing in uranium stocks? Sure. Well, I mean, most people don't know that nuclear energy actually is a growth sector, um, especially in the West. You know, there's there's been over the past decade plus a lot of negative sentiment, a lot of negative uh, press around nuclear However, nuclear continues to grow. It actually did grow after the steep drop in demand coming from Japan, shutting down all of their reactors following the Fukushima Daiichi accident. Um, they have now restarted 10 of those reactors, but um, it, demand continued to grow in the rest of in most of the rest of the world, especially in Asia, in particular in China. And it's set to grow yet another two to three percent per year out towards the end of the decade and beyond. So it's actually a growth sector. Um, and while demand is... Uh, very reliable and growing because nuclear reactors, they don't cycle up and down that much in their electricity production. It's a pretty a static producer of baseload energy. And so the demand picture is relatively stable. Uh, the supply picture, however, is very problematic. We have um, over 40% of the uranium produced globally comes from a single country. That's Kazakhstan. Mm. Kazakhstan, obviously, is, is in a very geopolitical kind of tricky situation right now, sharing a, a, the largest land border in the world with Russia, um, and then obviously being in the middle of the of Europe and China, essentially. And so they're the biggest producer. There's been some problems over the past year with their production making it to the West. Uh, most of that usually ships out of the port of St. Petersburg in Russia. But, you know, just to kind of zoom out a little bit, it's a growth sector. Supply is constrained. Uh, the price of the commodity is not yet at a level that is high enough to incentivize most development projects in the world, let alone those projects, quote unquote, on the margin. You know, these are the higher cost projects that when you actually do model out future demand for the sector, absolutely need to get into production in the next, you know, five to seven years, let's say, to keep from a significant uh, supply shock to the sector. So the bet really is on the price of the commodity going significantly higher, at least to get to that level of, of marginalized uh, production cost. And that's not even to take into account the fact that the potential for financial players in the sector to come in and really squeeze this sector is certainly there, primarily through entities such as the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. Oh, wow. So there, there are a lot of things at play right now in the sector. 
Um, Justin, you brought up the whole uh, demand in the sector um, as well as the issues with supply. Um, and certainly it seems like demand is outweighing supply, which is a positive, right, in the sector right now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it goes through kind of the classical uh, commodity cycles, just like most commodities go through where you have a period of, of very low prices that uh, bring supply offline. That tends to put some upward pressure on the price. Higher prices incentivize new production, uh, new product. You know, so and then it floods the market with the production. And so it goes through these similar cycles, although it just moves so much more slowly. And so uh, after the Japan closed down all 54 of their reactors in uh, starting in 2012, following the Fukushima Daiichi accident, uh, Germany shut down most of their reactors as well over the ensuing you know five or six years. Um, we had a, a big oversupply of uranium in the last decade. So we had Kazakhstan continue to ramp up production while we had this demand shock following Fukushima. So we had a few hundred million pounds excess of uranium of above ground mobile inventory that was in the market. Um, that tanked the price. It brought a lot of producers offline. A lot of mines went either into permanent shutdown or into care and maintenance. Uh, conversion capacity came offline. And so we just had to work through a lot of this excess supply from the previous decade. Well, we'll bring that up to today, and we're actually worked through most, if not all, of that. We have a very tight spot market, which is very – spot market is basically just – um, fast settlement of, of smaller amount of pounds being traded back and forth. It's not really the market where nuclear utilities procure their uranium for the fuel for the reactors, but we have a very tight spot market. We have uh, we have a robust demand picture. We have honestly the environmental left embracing nuclear as a clean energy source, which of course they should have been all along, and that's just my personal opinion. But now we're at the place where there's enough concern. Um, in the world, generally speaking, around carbon emissions and uh, climate concerns, et cetera, that to ignore the fact that nuclear is a essentially a carbon-free baseload energy source is is completely absurd. So that's finally coming full circle, and it, we're kind of in the early stages, in my opinion, of what looks to be somewhat of a nuclear renaissance. And really, the best way to play that is through the uranium mining stocks. That's prime the primary way to play it, anyways. There's a couple of other alternative ways, but. For the most part, it's uh, mining stocks for the actual commodity for nuclear energy. Oh, I'll definitely we'll definitely talk about those stocks in a second. But real quick, you know, you, you brought up a lot of the reasons to get involved in investing in the uranium space. I was wondering, what kind of um, headwinds have you noticed um, in the industry? What should investors watch out for? Uh, I mean, honestly, headwinds. There's there's a lot of volatility in the sector, so that's something to know going into it right away. Um, you should not be in this investment if you can't stomach a 30 to 50% drawdown at least once a year. Um, that's just, that's just the, how this sector moves. Now, on balance over a long enough time period, um, we believe the sector is going to outperform most other sectors. Um, and I know that's a bold statement, but uh, uranium bull markets are like no other. Because they're so volatile, because the market is so small, you know, we're less than $40 billion total market capitalization for all of the companies, public tra publicly traded companies in the space. That's very, very, very small for such a crucially important sector in the world. Um, it's 10% of global electricity production, 20% in the United States. Um, and so it's a small sector. It's very volatile. So you have to have a strong stomach to, to invest in this space. Headwinds, um, let's see. 
You know, there can always be um, geopolitical shakeups. There's uh, th there's always jurisdictional shakeups. You have to be careful about jurisdictions because, um, you know, a shift in the political winds can make a viable project illegal or vice versa. Yeah. That's I mean, that's the case in any type of mining stock, right? But um, uranium, because it's uh, radioactive uh, material, tends to have more stringent uh, rules that, that need to be followed in order to mine the material, regardless of the jurisdiction. Uh, and then I guess, you know, this past year, there's been a bit of a headwind, in my opinion. I don't think it was the ultimate headwind. I think the biggest headwind really was just markets going risk off and a, a, a lack of liquidity across many markets, and, and uranium was one of them. Oh. Um, but you have, uh, yeah, just, I, I mean, I guess I just, the, the markets in general can be a headwind. Um, we did have the war in Ukraine last year that, in my opinion, um, has been quite a tailwind for the sector, but there was was and is still fighting going on around the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, which is the Zaporizhia plant um, in, in South Ukraine. So there were a lot of concerns about the fighting there causing some sort of uh, nuclear event. A lot of that has been uh, dispelled. You know, we, when the original shelling was happening around this plant, you actually had oh. prominent figures in uh, in the Ukraine um, political parties that were basically saying, uh, this needs to stop. This is about to be Chernobyl part two, and that's basically impossible. It's, it's an entirely different reactor design that has a containment field. So that's impossible. But I do think that the, the fighting that's happening around this plant oh. has definitely um, caused a bit of jitters amongst some uranium investors. But uh, the way that this conflict has shaken up the nuclear fuel cycle in terms of how utilities are procuring, uh -huh. especially concerning Russia, which is the largest player in both conversion and enrichment, has really been a significant tailwind for uranium. I can explain that more further if you'd like, but... Um, uh, the headwinds are basically the volatility. There's always a chance of some type of nuclear accident happening, uh -huh. at least affecting sentiment, and worst case, of course, affecting demand. Um, so, you know, we always recommend people make a rational allocation because of those reasons. Good point. When we return, we'll hear from Justin about the biggest investment options in the uranium industry and advice for getting started with investing in uranium companies. But first, let me tell you you can become a more informed investor through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter. Early Bird has commentary on the latest events and trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and crowdfunding. With Early Bird's daily weekday email, investors can quickly stay on top of the trends and beat the market. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, back to today's discussion. So, Justin, today uh, we're talking about investing in uranium stocks, and you've give, given a really awesome overview of the uranium market as it stands here in early 2023. Let, let's talk a little bit about the stocks. You know, if you're, if you're new to the uranium space, what are some of the, I guess, who are some of the big players uh, in the uranium industry that investors should be familiar with? So the, the biggest players, I suppose, in terms of liquidity, uh, you would start off with the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust and the ETFs. So you have um, the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, I guess, first is 
um, is, is a trust that holds physical uranium. And so the way that they operate is that they go out into the market and buy uranium when they have sufficient cash to do so. And they raise cash via an ATM and at the market financing vehicle. So when the trust is trading at a premium to the previous day's closing net asset value, they will actually issue shares into the market through this ATM and raise cash by actually being selling pressure on the trust itself. Um, so when there's a high volume at a premium to NAV, they can raise a lot of money. In fact, they raised over $90 million in a single day uh, at some point last year. I believe that was in April of last year. So they raise cash and they go out and they buy uranium. And this, of course, has what we call a flywheel effect, you know, funds flowing into the sector and into SPUT in particular. That's how that the SPUT Physical Uranium Trust is known as SPUT. Um, that leads to direct buying of the commodity, which, of course, puts price upward pressure on the price. So when funds really flow into the sector, um, you tend to see this sort of financialization of the market in a way that you don't see for much larger commodities like oil and gas, for example, um, or even copper, for that matter, the precious metals is money, not even a very large amount of money, all things considered, flowing into the spot vehicle, into the ETFs, because the ETFs also own the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. So they buy the trust, the trust buys uranium. Uh, it's kind of this beautiful situation that's set up here. And uh, it's SPUD is very liquid. It is uh, roughly 80% owned by institutions. So it's also a, a big sign if you were actually to chart the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. It's a good sign to look at trading volumes on institutional appetite for the sector. Um, so right now, the institutional appetite is still not really there. It's still kind of risk off uh, for institutions. But we think that that's going to return <clears throat> URA is the largest ETF in terms of liquidity, um, although it's only a 70% allocated towards pure play uranium mining stocks. It does have a num number of other companies that are only partially allocated to uh, to uranium. Uh, so something like BHP, for example, uh, would be uh, held in URA. So, uh, and then you have URNM, which is the Sprott Uranium Miners ETF. And that is a pure play uranium mining stock ETF. So those yeah. are kind of the big boys in terms of liquidity standpoint. And I, I would say the next largest, you get to a company called Cameco. Mm. Cameco historically has been a, a uranium mining stock exclusively with the exception of also um, having a conversion plant in Canada, the Port Hope plant in Canada, where they sell the, the conversion service. Nice. Cameco recently, go ahead. Oh, sorry. sorry, go on, go on, sorry. Now, they recently announced an acquisition of a 49% share interest with, alongside with Brookfield Resource Partners, Renewable Partners, excuse me, to purchase Westinghouse. And Westinghouse is a major player in the nuclear industry. Um, of the 450 plus uh, nuclear power plants that exist globally currently, over half of them have some form of a relationship, if not the plant itself being built by Westinghouse or being a Westinghouse design. They have 20,000 plus employees. They're a major, major player. And of course, they have uh, exposure to more conversion uh, through their nuclear fuel cycle uh, uh, services. So that's a big deal for Cameco. That has not gone through yet, that deal, but it's likely to go through. I believe that's supposed to happen relatively quickly. Um, so, and they're a large cap. They're kind of an industry darling. And they are the largest producer in the West. So they have two very large mines in uh, Saskatchewan in the place called the Athabasca Basin in northern Saskatchewan. That's the Cigar Lake and MacArthur River Mine. They, of course, have a number of other assets uh, in Australia, the United States, and Canada. But these are their two primary assets in the West. They do also have a joint venture in Kazakhstan. But these two big mines are their, their bread and butter. And MacArthur River is just in the process now of restarting after being 
uh, put on care and maintenance in 2018, which went a long way towards seeing uh, a lot of that mobile inventory get worked through and, and the price recovery for the commodity. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for the overview of some of those big stocks and investing options, including the ETF. So I think a lot of investors really do appreciate that. Um, so w with that in mind, Justin, um, what advice would you have to uh, retail investors out there who are interested in the uranium space? They, they don't know where to get started. They want to invest this year in 2023. What advice would you have for those investors? Honestly, I think uh, the biggest piece of advice I could give is to do as much research as you possibly can on the actual fuel cycle. Yeah. Because it's if you just come into the sector um, all excited, either from this interview or from something else that you might have heard about the sector, and you just jump in kind of with both feet, and then you'll see, oh, the spot price is down 25 cents today. What the heck is going on? I must be wrong in this assumption that the sector is about to go on a moonshot. Um, don't watch the spot price so much. Yes, it is the most published and most widely viewed element of the fuel cycle that most investors do watch, and sometimes on a regular basis, uh, if not daily basis, because it doesn't necessarily dictate exactly what's going on for the sector and the rest of the fuel cycle and how the utilities are operating. So educate yourself as much as you possibly can about the fuel cycle itself and understand the implications of uh, let's say the tails assays for the enrichment process. And I don't, we probably don't have time to get into that today, but it's super, super important to understand uh, where that's at and where it's going and the implications that that has the enrichment process on demand for uranium. Because I think you have to be sort of a contrarian at heart to be invested in the sector. You really have to be able to uh, buck the trend. And because of the incredible volatility, it, it will shake you out if you don't have conviction. So um, do as much self-education as possible in order to bolster that conviction to, to just hang on through the volatility. Nice. Interesting. Great advice. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the, uh, the Early Bird podcast and talking about the state of uranium stocks here in 2023. I really do appreciate it. Our listeners appreciate it. Uh, before we wrap up today's podcast, I just have one final question for you, Justin. And it's the most important question of today's discussion. That question for you is, if you had 25 hours a day, how would you spend your extra time? Oh, man. That's a good one. Um, gosh. Honestly, I, I probably would spend it in my garden, personally, mm -hmm. uh, as, as geeky as that sounds. Uh, that That's where I just kind of ground and reset because I find that um, – the investing world and the being in front of a computer or a phone or pretty much most of the day, most days, just getting outside uh, and getting my feet, my hands in the dirt just is really, really healing. So if I had an extra hour, I probably would, would spend it there. Thank you again to Justin Hune for sharing your insights on uranium investing. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's discussion. We'll be back next week for another episode of Early Bird. Have a great day.